Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This Friday, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Ooh, there's a moth. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jimmy's getting attacked. Stupid Britain. I believe. <laughs> I did. I blame the Brexit. <laughs> have, have you seen the, like, click hole articles? No, no, I don't think so. It's kind. Do you know what the Onion is? Yeah, they're kind of like fake news stories, but instead of being fake, they're just ridiculous. Like one, they published a video that said, um, "Can you imagine if gay people said the the things hungry straight people said?" And then it's a video of a bunch of gay people going like, "Do you guys want to eat?" And that's it. (laughs) Or like, uh, uh, I particularly click on the gay ones. There was one. It was like, watch this son come out to his father, and then watch the father eat six tacos. What? (laughs) And it's a twelve minute. Like they're really weird and strange. I kind of like it. Yeah, very um, Tim and Eric. Did you ever watch Tim and Eric? Very Tim and Eric. Yeah. Yeah. Very very Tim and Eric. But they posted one, and it said, um, "Please like this to wish uh, the UK good luck on its trip around the world." I like it. <laughs> Will somebody get us another drink? We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Hi everyone, Future Tommy here. I've got two quick pieces of business before we get into it. Number one, a big, huge, warm welcome to all of our great Comet fans and Josh Groban fans and anyone else who's discovered our nerdy, dinky little podcast. Uh, The Great Comet and Dave Malloy have been just wonderful supporters on Twitter, and I'm sure this is not the last. We're going to hear about them. Um, If you're new to this podcast, my name is Tommy, and my podcast mate Jimmy and I are just so happy that you're here. This is a musical theater podcast, and we talk about one show, one musical, an episode. Uh, Old musical 
musicals, new musicals, popular, obscure. We've talked about all kinds of shows. You can find all of our episodes online if you go to jimandtomic.com or just search that in iTunes. Uh, if you're looking for a place to jump in, Jimmy is a big fan of episode number six, A Cabaret Cocktail, where we talk about Candor and Ebb's musical, Cabaret. I'm partial to number nine, Dinner with Dolly, about Jerry Herman's fabulous Hello, Dolly, or just start listening from this one. It, you can jump in anytime. We're so happy you're here. That was the first piece of business. Second piece of business. Um, this episode you're about to listen to talks a little bit about politics and a lot about guns. Jimmy and I picked this musical that we're going to talk about intentionally to try and tackle some of these issues. Now, now the way our recording schedule works, we recorded this episode a couple of weeks ago before Alton Sterling was shot in Baton Rouge, before Philando Castile in St. Paul, before the Black Lives Matter rallies and protests in St. Paul and Baton Rouge and Chicago and New York and Dallas, before those police officers were shot in Dallas. We, Jimmy and I, don't talk about any of those awful tragedies in this episode because they hadn't happened yet. We were responding to different tragedies. The tragedy in Orlando, where 49 people were shot in the Gay Pulse nightclub. The shooting of lawmaker Joe Cox in Britain. And all of the xenophobia and hate stemming from the Brexit vote. All of these tragedies are awful. It is impossible to compare all of these tragedies. They all happen to different people in different ways and affect different groups of people in different ways and we respond to them in different ways. And the important thing, I don't know what the important thing is. I just know that we're all feeling stuff, you know? You're feeling your sadness, we're feeling our sadness, and everyone's trying to do something about it. And the only do-something-about-it category we have is make a podcast. So that's what this is. And it's much happier than this announcement makes it seem. There's lots of fun parts. You know, it's musical theater. We enjoy it. But we felt it was important to just take this moment and acknowledge that we're dealing with some big, complex issues that no one has sorted out yet and that we all just need to remember to help each other to love each other to look forward and keep going and now we'll keep going with the podcast that cool great oh also we swear a couple times but you'll be fine with that cool all right here goes the podcast. Thanks for listening. So, hey, Mr. T, what are we going to hey, talk about hey, today? Hey, Mr. J. Well, as you may remember, our quiz question... I forgot that. Yeah, uh, let me remind you of it, because I know it's been so long since uh, you heard it. Right. Um, despite its original production premiering off-Broadway, when this mm -hmm. show was remounted 14 years later, the Tony Administration Committee deemed it was only eligible to be nominated as a revival of a musical. Weird! Uh, 
so weird. So weird. It could only be one thing, perhaps. What's, <laughs> what's that, Jimmy? Assassin. Bum, bum, bum. Did that sound like <laughs> mysterious and scary enough? That, that did sound mysterious and scary enough. Hey, kid, failed your test. Dream girl unimpressed. Show her you're the best If you can shoot a president You can get the prize with the big blue eyes Skinny little thighs and those big blue eyes Mister! Everybody's got the right to be happy Don't stay mad, life's not as bad as it seems If you keep your goal in sight You can climb to any height Everybody's got the right to their dreams So yeah, we're talking assassin. This is kind of inspired by your exquisite oh, it's very stressful live yeah that was that was a broadway production in its own right <laughs> that was so, so <laughs> stressful if if y'all missed it the highlights and lowlights are on youtube right now yeah i got some new live streaming software and you know it was like this will be easy it'll be fine it, it went well um many thanks to to jimmy for being my my backstage help i would loved it i'm putting it on my cv across oceans <laughs> please it, please do CV. Right now, um, it was amazing. I didn't know you could do stuff like that with it's, live streams. It's, I'm learning every minute. <laughs> As are we all. But no, it was it was it was great. It was good fun. But yeah, lots of you begged. I think yeah. I, there were many, many, many questions being like, about just talk assassins. about assassins. Just talk about it. I, I feel like <laughs> this is it's one of the lesser known, still very good Stephen Sondheim musicals. Yeah. And so it's like a, it's like a good, you know, the when I was a fledgling musical theater nerd, mm -hmm. this was one of the first shows I was like excited to find out about. Right, yeah. Yeah, because I mean, I think it 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 hasn't, you know, it was never on Broadway for years and years and years. There's been no film adaptation. Right. And on the whole, it, it's quite, you know, edgy. Mhm. Mm I would it's, I mean, it's edgy. This is a dark show, Jimmy. Damn, this is a right. really really dark show. Yeah. And not even like kind of twee Sweeney Todd dark. This is right. just out and out black dark. Just dark and sad. Because yeah. like Sweeney Todd is a myth, is a story, you know. This is real. This is it's real. Just a, yeah, it's just this... a real m musical. Yeah, talking about very, very real things. Yeah. That you wouldn't necessarily associate <laughs> a musical with. Yeah. So um, uh, if, if someone has never seen Assassins before, Jimmy, what yeah. is this show about? So Assassins looks at the kind of lives and motivations between nine assassins or attempted assassins who who killed or, or tried to kill, well, assassinated, um, or tried to assassinate the presidents of the United States. And it's, yeah, it's about them and about the effects that they had. And, and kind of a, like, a non-linear analysis of and exploration of American themes, maybe? Yeah. yeah, definitely. It's, it's you know, one of the main themes of the American musical is, of course, the American dream. Right. Um, and this kind of takes that and then flips it right round on its head. And it's like, yeah, okay, I'll take that a bit. Nah. It yeah. Throws it to the ground and shows you the other side. There's a, in the libretto that I have, in whoever the foreword was by, mm -hmm. um, Andre Bishop, who was in the original cast... 
mm-hmm. says something. Uh, here it is. Assassins suggests that these dreadful events happen in this country because our most cherished national myths, at least as currently propagated, encourage us to believe that in America our dreams not only can come true, but should come true, and that if they don't, someone or something is to blame. Exactly. And it's really that, that different, like, are you entitled to the American dream just by living here? And if you don't get it, you shoot the president of the United States. Exactly. And it kind of, it kind of also looks at very many different for like kind of all the different forms of what the American dream means. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Is yeah. it, is it love? Is it money? Is it fame? All of these things um, are discussed and it's, it's really, really masterfully done. I think. Yeah. I, I think of all this, of all the Sondies, well, I would always say that Sweeney is my fave. Mm-hmm. Just gotta love it. I would say that Assassins is like the most complete. It's the most, yeah, I'd say com- that's what I would say. It's, it's the most complete. Um, and I love it for that. I think actually even just beyond Sondheim in terms of musical theater is something that's such a unit that's like, this is a piece of theater A to Z go. I feel Assassins just ticks that box. And I think it all has to come down to John Wideman, who who wrote the book. It's in terms of like book writing, I say that this is a masterclass. Yeah, well, and because it's it's an adaptation, like all musicals are adaptations. This one, in a big way, because it just pulls, you know, it's it's ninety five percent historical accurate description, and yet done so wonderfully cherry-picked and put together to create such an interesting image out of the texts it's based on. I do, I find it interesting that you call this musical the most complete Mm. you've heard, not because I think it's incomplete, but because it has a very non-traditional structure. Right, exactly, exactly. And I I, I don't know whether that contributes to it or not, but any time I've seen it, obviously I was saying uh, that I've actually directed this one as well, when you get to the end, it feels like the end yeah. Do you know what I mean? It feels like you've you've come the whole direction. And that isn't just because the opening number is reprised at the end. It's right. You've had your your full journey. That emotional story has been told within you. But yeah, you're right. It's it's kind of the lo- the non-linear format. Well, and there even like there's not a there's not a protagonist and an antagonist. It's not like A plot, B plot. It's not like I want song and then you go get the I want song and you're escalating tactics and then yeah. the climax. At the, like all of that is just thrown out the window, but it yep. is still very squarely a piece of musical theater that sits very nicely in the genre. I think that's it. I think because because of the themes it's talking about, this mm-hmm. idea of the American dream and, you know, the dark side of the American dream, because I think it is able to take all the boxes within that theme, I don't know whether that just makes you like, I understand, you know? Free country means your dreams can come true. Be a scholar, make a dollar. Free country means they listen to you. Scream and holler, grab them by the collar. Free country means you don't have to sit. That's it. And put up with the shit. Everybody's got the right to some sun to shine. Everybody, not the sun, but me. To 
Um, we should probably talk a little bit more about the what makes this musical not only like you you know you tell someone in the same way when Lin-Manuel Miranda stands in front of the White House and goes yeah it's a rap musical about Alexander Hamilton and you're like wait tell me more if I, this is a musical about the assassins who attempted to assassinate the presidents that's still a weird concept yeah exactly and you're like well so what is it like each of their stories and it's it's not not at all basically it is it's kind of set in this what I like to call the carnival of the damned yeah, Do you know I mean, it's like this almost like hell limbo. It's like a no man's land, vaguely themed after a like shoot 'em up carnival. Like, yeah, uh, you know the all the all the presidents are scrolling past on a little thing, and there's two n- what non historical characters. Yeah, two like people who live in this world. Yeah, whatever world that may be. Yeah, the the proprietor and the balladeer. The proprietor who says, "Come here and kill a president," and the balladeer who kind of walks us through that story. Exactly, exactly. Now, I've got really interesting things about them, but we'll get to that. In a we'll bit. Get we'll to talk that. about this story first. Um, but so then we've like we start out with John Wilkes Booth, and then kind of weave in and out through all these different assassin stories, and they all just talk to each other. It's not individual vignettes, and like comparing their stories, and you know, kind of delving into what it, it, it is easy one of the reasons jimmy and i are talking about this show is because a lot of it just kind of seems relevant with a, a lot of different things that are going on in the world today a lot of different things and it's one of it, the more i was like researching it and kind of going back over it again which was lovely but i was like gosh this is so relevant and it just started to think about everything that's happened in like the past fortnight yeah it's it's not even it just feels like it's been a crazy time in the world and one of the things this show does is like all of these people are crazy in their own way but oftentimes you know whether it's in the news or in our historical retellings of what happened we say oh they're crazy as like a way to pish posh it and you know dash it off but this musical points at them and goes no these people are crazy here's why and it doesn't make them any less real. Exactly. It's it's like they're not inhuman. They're not all, you know, people who have just been completely switched off. Some of them are. But some of them have come from extremely real places. Yeah. And through, you know, whether it's series of depression mm-hmm. or com- just complete disillusionment, have turned to this as their only kind of outlet now. Do you know what I mean? And they feel that this is the thing that has to be done. Um is is kind of harrowing as that is, but that's that's what's great about the show is that it it really it makes you look at them and it makes you think. Well, no, why has this happened? Right. There's a great line in um, Ballad of Booth where the balladeer says to John Wilkes Booth, "Well, Lincoln, who got mixed reviews because of you, John now gets only raves." And this idea that you forget you you end up just forgetting about the person who did it. You know that he's oh he's a villain. Yeah. And you look at the target. And they're the victim. Whatever intention you had when you did it, you know, gets lost and thrown out the window. And like it is, you know, f- good or bad, whether their purposes were achieved or not. Mm-hmm. The, a lot of the people in this story made history. I mean, yep. in a in perhaps the climax of the show, uh, John Wilkes Booth time travels to talk with Lee Harvey Oswald moments before he assassinates JFK, and. You know, Lee Harvey Oswald is on the fence about it because that's the drama of the show. And John Wilkes Booth brings up um, the assassination of Caesar 
and basically says, do you know who assassinated Caesar? And he goes, yeah, Brutus. And John Wilkes Booth is like, yeah, 4,000 years later. Yeah, attention has been paid. Yeah. yeah, you know this man's name. Exactly. And that's that's it. I mean, I guess we'll talk about to how they get to that point, because mm-hmm. obviously the, the I guess like the first half, the first three quarters um, of the show is finding out all about these guys, these assassins, what made them do it, why are they here? Um, and it kind of comes to this amazing head uh, in this number called Another National Anthem, where all of their like combined disillusionment gets thrown together. Yeah. And to the point where actually, well, in the later productions, uh, transforms this idealistic balladeer into Lee Harvey Oswald, is this idea, um, this person who is the epitome of disillusionment um, and they pers- they all combine yeah. so great they persuade him to assassinate JFK um, in this weird little yeah assassins world past and future yeah talk about how important Lee Harvey Oswald is going to be to their stories mm-hmm. to their stories and just to the world you know they they appeal to his like say that disillusionment, the fact he thinks he's a nothing mm-hmm. in the show, he's kind of gone to the depository to kill himself. And they're like, if you do that, they compare it greatly to um, death of a salesman where they're like, well, if you do that, you know, in, in death of a salesman, his wife stands and she begs for them to remember him. And it's like, they'll just forget you in a second. But if you do this great act, then you'll be remembered forever and the world will change. And, which is very true. <laughs> and clearly, like, we, we are, <laughs> this is where, this is the 5% that is non-historical, right? John Wilkes yep. Booth didn't time travel to have a <laughs> exactly. discussion with Lee Harvey Oswald. Exactly. And the whole musical is written with 2020 hindsight. So we are just doing some commentary on a really growing American disillusionment. Definitely. Which is, it's very biting. It's very... You know, this is not a this is not a show you leave happy from. Not at all. And then, obviously, after that happens, there was a bit of a um, a mix up with the productions. So, from the original production, which was way back in nineteen ninety, mm-hmm. obviously it went from the Texas Book Depository into the reprise of the opening number, and it was the end. Yeah. And then when it got when they brought it to London, they to had London, the song. Yeah. Yeah, so it was Sam Mendes, apparently, who suggested to Sondheim, it was like, hey, Sunday, and it would be really good. Yeah. <laughs> it needs something more. Yeah. Write this song. Um, and in a way, just thank God that happened. I think, Jimmy, this song, Something Just Broke, is the first musical theatre song that ever made me cry. Right. And I don't blame you. <laughs> it is beautiful. It, it, it happens right after Lee Harvey Oswald assassinates JFK. And it's just, it's... News reports of of JFK being shot and dying interspersed with a bunch of people remembering that moment where they were when JFK got shot. And it is one of the most beautiful, moving pieces of musical theater ever. And that's it. So it's JFK, but it's, it's also the other presidents throughout time. And it shows this idea that when this happens, when this monumental thing happens, it, change, it changes and it affects people's lives. And it affects the kind of balance of the world. That's what the song's all about, is this idea that something's just broke. Something is, like, say, just made a little dent. And it's it's not 
you know, your life hasn't been changed forever. You're not finding yourself out in the streets or anything like that. But the way that you feel and the way you look at things mm. has just been changed. And it's so, it's so powerful. And yeah. it, what I think is so good about it as well is that it's sung completely without any of the assassins for the first time. They're gone. And you just get to see the ensemble. Yeah. Who before always just, you know, they feature, they pop up here and there, but this is their voice and, and they're portrayed as the, the general public. They're the, they're the bystanders. They're the people that the audience can actually relate to. Mm-hmm. And that's why it really yeah. hits home. Well, and I think it, in, in preparation for this, I listened to like the two, the two recordings you can listen to are the original one, the 1990 production, which has the blue cover with chalk stars on it. And then the revival in the Broadway revival in 2004, which has slender man. Yeah, like pointing a gun at you. Um, And the 2004 revival has something just broke, and the 1990, the song didn't exist yet. And I think this show is just incomplete without that song. Completely and utterly. And I think that's one of the the reasons why it failed. Yeah. You know, the the first production, I think it lasted for like a couple of like weeks of performances, and then it was done. It was off Broadway. Um, It didn't do very well. No. The New York Times didn't like it. Therefore, it shut down. And I think one of the main reasons is because it didn't have this song. There was nothing for the people to to bring them in. Do you right. know what I mean? Right. Well, and the, the whole the whole point of the show was, you know, I, I think I think it's in this prologue too. Yeah. So this this preface was written in 1993, I think. So before right, the okay. revival, um, by someone who was in the show, and they say at the end of one of the performances, an audience member said to his companion, "Quote: I liked it, but who are you supposed to feel for?" She replied, her eyes filled up with tears. Us, you're supposed to feel for us, and that's absolutely true. Like you're supposed to feel for the American public, but th- this this whole exchange epitomizes why it was confusing in the original production because there was no explicit number to tell you exactly you're supposed to feel you need something just broke the american public reacting to these things so you have something to grip onto and you're not just swimming in melancholy when you leave well i I remember the first time first time that i saw it was the really recent london one with the one for aaron Tveit, your favorite person to say uh uh, yep yep i avoid saying his last name at all costs exactly Um, and also mick mcshane are you a Mick McShane fan? I don't know who that is. He was in Whose Line for a little bit. Oh, no way. Yeah. Wait, there's like seven versions of Whose Line. I think he's in, definitely in the British one. I think he came over to the States. He's a really, really big guy. Mike McShane. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A very funny guy. Really, really funny. He was playing Mick. Um, and then there was also Catherine Tate, who's like a massive oh, British wonderful. comedian. Oh, oh you I know, know Catherine Tate. Catherine oh, Tate Doctor was who. on Doctor Who. Of course. I keep forgetting. Dr. Yeah. Donna. So she was in it as well. She was playing Moore. Um, and okay. really amazing production, beautifully staged. Aaron Tveit had a beard, so you're, you're fighting, <laughs> you're winning. Um, but that was the first time I'd, I'd actually ever seen it on stage. This was after the one that I directed, but obviously I'd never seen someone else's production of it. And it, when it got to something just broke, I, I literally, I broke down and I wasn't expecting it. Because once I've listened to something for so long, I do kind of become, you know, I mean, as you do. Um, and I, I broke down properly because this was, it, it was just so affecting. You, you really understood what the whole show was about in that one song, which was amazing. And then what 
I thought was more powerful that I didn't even realise was an aspect of the show is when they bring in the reprise afterwards and when they all come back, you hate them. You literally, I was like, I was like scowling. Oh, I, th- <laughs> you know I, I mean? think the various, you know, musicals are made of tiny little moments that create bigger moments. The transition from the end of something just broke, like even when you just listen to the cast album, yep. from that moment of silence to then like the plunky reprise coming back in where just the underscore starts coming back in and we're going to sing this. Everyone got has got the right this song It's really again. jolly, jolly, happy song. The lights are flashing. It's all colorful. Uh, yeah, like. But it's like, ooh, ooh, everything is burning. And that is it. Is I was just, I was so angry. And I think what I love about that is that for the all the things preceding that, you're not, you don't, I mean, you don't ever sympathise with them. You don't ever think, oh yeah, I totally get that. I, I would have done that too. Um, but you get to see them as the humans that they are. In this, it, it's, it's like a little priest in Sweeney Todd. Like by the end of Act 1, you're kind of like, okay, baking people into meat pies. Not a thing I do, <laughs> but I understand. You do you. You know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. Um, and then the, because of something Josh broke, you see them in this whole new light because they're ignoring what you know something just broke is about they're ignoring this heartbreak and they're just glorifying in their own kind of selfish needs and you realize that who like no one's won here do you know what i mean you've you've got nothing people know who you are but you haven't changed the world you've just created all of this heartbreak and it's just great it was such a great like theatrical feeling I left, I left really just being like, I love theatre. I love theatre so much. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a really... It do to you. It's just effective. It's just, like, really... And, like, effective in the purest sense. Like, it affects you. Like, yeah. it, the show is written to make you feel things that are difficult to articulate. Completely. I was up near the ridge Plowing We were working at the plant I was halfway through correcting the exam When my wife It was Mike She comes tearing across the field Mike the foreman In runs Billy I mean he was crying He was crying She was crying I'll I'll remember remember it forever And I thought The president's been shot You know what? There are presidents who aren't worth a lot. I I kept thinking. thinking. There's the kind that gets elected then forgot. Mr. Garfield. Mr. Minions. He's a hack. Bill McKinley. He's a giant. He's a joke. Still something just broke. The president is rallying. The president is sinking. The president is dead. Was down at the exchange. So you've never seen a production of it? I've never seen a production. I've seen plenty of clips online. I think the uh-huh. the um the Tony performance no, I, if you li- if you're starting in on the show and you need to listen to one, yeah. um listen to the Orange Revival cast album with Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah. Um Neil Patrick Harris before you knew he could do Broadway. Exactly. This like, is like this <gasps> is Wow, who are you? This <laughs> is, I don't know if this is his first Broadway show. You know he was so he was he was Toby in the concert version in of the Sweeney concert, Todd. Yeah, uh-huh. He was a replacement in Cabaret in two thousand three, and then in two thousand four he did Assassins. This was his right. Um, this was his first this original. Was, I think this was definitely his break. You know, not oh, that yeah. I mean, like he was certainly uh, Doogie Howser beforehand, but this yeah. was like adult Neil Patrick Harris's musical theater break. 
definitely definitely and this yeah this is what kind of let people know it's like, oh right you sing as well well done yeah, yeah. <laughs> and on, they yeah. do in in this particular revival um the balladeer transforms into lee harvey oswald yeah. at the end which is a wonderfully brilliant choice what gets me about i think it's their tony award performance and i'm sure this happens all the time these are assassins with guns guns play a big big role in this show mm-hmm. and at the very end of everybody gets the everybody's everybody's got the right right, (laughs) um the all the assassins take their obviously fake obviously prop guns and start pointing them at the audience and like not at the audience the collective noun but at like individual audience members and it is chilling there there is something about that imagery especially with the knowledge of the show and the knowledge that like these are you know basically real people on stage it's there's nothing nothing else like it and that i think like when you when you see it in as well in the context of the whole show you want to just get down there and rip it out of their hands whack them over the head with it because like, let's talk about guns okay <laughs> the i think it's one of uh certainly there are moving songs and there are pretty songs yeah i think one of sondheim's prettiest songs yeah is the gun song yeah, I've literally written that in my notes. One of Sondheim's most beautiful numbers is also one of his darkest. Yeah, it's so, it's, what is it? You, it takes a lot of men to make a gun, and it'll, all you have to do is move, your little, move finger. your little finger. And you can change the world, and there's no lie there. Yeah. No one is lying. One little squeeze. Sung to you by people who did it. Like, yeah. it's, it's chilling. I think we, we are seeing, and it's weird, at least in the, the bits of, um, look, I made a hat where Sondheim has written about this. Uh-huh. I don't feel anger is not the right word, but like the, the, the like mad passion that Sondheim's lyrics show in this musical that they don't show in other musicals. Yeah. Like, you know, ju- even if you just counted the number of times they swear, mm-hmm. like there is some anger and passion and something behind it, this. It's, it's very it's very gritty the kind of persuasive language that they're using as well throughout and everything is from the heart and it isn't just because of the characters that they've got son has written these characters before it, it's just because that is what the nature of the show is yeah but right guns guns so i want to know you're an american i am okay? an american that so, makes me an expert <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> so um you have the Second Amendment, right? Uh-huh. It's complicated. It is. It really is. And this is something that I find, mm-hmm. as a non-American, fascinating. Because it's, it's not a clear-cut case of guns are bad, full stop, with America. And that is something I've... It's taken me a while to come to realise. Mm-hmm. But speaking to close friends of mine who understand and empathise with the Second Amendment, I can kind of see that mindset i still well, I'm, I'm obviously against guns mm-hmm. but i can see why yeah it's not it's not happened in the states yet you know it's i think it's all very like all of this naturally is very complicated and very divisive um yeah. you know it's one of the there's like lists of things you're not supposed to bring up at dinner table conversations yes you know how they make sausages <laughs> abortions and gun control laws and gun control yeah and and it's because it's so divisive but part of that is also 
another like all the more reason to talk about it just because issues are complicated doesn't mean we shouldn't be talking about them um the second amendment has a long and sordid history and actually if you you look into the details of it i'd have to look up the specific ones again but this is how silly and specific some of the arguments get about this um so the second amendment was in the bill of rights which were amendments to the constitution here are some new rules we need to add now that we know what our country is about yeah um which we'll all know from hamilton Right. Just to get the Hamilton in there. <laughs> in two different versions of the Constitution, because you can't just Xerox it, there's different punctuation in the Second Amendment. Really? There's a different use of a comma. And there have been years worth of arguments about this comma. Wow. So the full Second Amendment, and you won't hear the punctuation because I'm a human being who doesn't speak the punctuation, but the full Second Amendment is a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And in one version of the Constitution that everyone ratified, it goes a well-regulated militia, comma, being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep bare arms shall not be infringed. The other one goes, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. And there are different ways even to interpret that statement. And, yeah. like, my interpretation here will never do justice because, like, our government is still working on trying to interpret exactly. this amendment the whole country hinges on this yeah but the the arguments on all sides are on the on the gun control side is that this was written because we were you know a newborn country with no army and so we needed to make sure our everyday men could have their muskets for the time when we needed to call to arms and you know fight the british because they were invading and then on the gun control side people say that's silly and outdated or they'll say things like everyone should have the right to a 1700s musket that takes 30 minutes to set up and reload on the other side and it's you know this is a divisive argument we are a young country still founded on a very Violence, not the right word. Well, no, it is. On a violent and quick revolution. You know, we are a country founded on protest, and that means our government is founded on a distrust for government, which gets less and less true, I think, as the years go by. But so there's something along the lines of, like, if you give the citizens guns, you can keep the government in check. And this is this is where the crazy the crazy crazies are like, yeah, I want my guns so I can, you know, fight off the hordes when they show up. But that's what they believe. Like the yeah. day when the government says we're going to come and take your guns, they can fight them away with their guns. Yeah. A lot of it's all caught up. A lot of the people fighting for the right to bear arms are funded by the companies that make the guns. Um, and we're a capitalist country and that gets kind of complicated. It just says the right to bear arms. It doesn't say what kind of gun you can own. And there is a lot of different types of guns. Um, you know, it's all very divisive. Yeah, there's, it's, it's, there's so much to it. And I guess to, to bring it back to assassins, like, ass assassins, it, it almost gives you both sides of the coin. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Because it, it, it doesn't out and out say these things are super bad. It says these things can do bad things. But 
in in many ways, like you just said, like it they can do necessary things in people's in people's minds. And I I I just find that so interesting. Like I say, as a non-American, obviously, you know, we've had no guns for decades and we don't it's not even on our radar. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? If someone has a gun, you'd be like, that's the wildest and craziest thing in the world that you have this. You know, we go to Texas and who doesn't? <laughs> so let me tell you, I live in Chicago. Depending upon the statistics you count, uh, gun violence capital of the world. Really? Yeah. Which is, it depends on the statistics you count and what you uh, observe about it. But so mm-hmm. this past weekend was the Pride Parade. Yeah. Which was great fun. Um, and very wonderful and appropriate and moving. And for a lot of reasons, had a lot of security this year. And it's always a bit of a hot mess, too, because that's just what these things turn into. You know, a lot of drunken revelers, like... They're marking, drunken gay revelers as yeah, well. Exactly. You know, people, we people, gotta do what we gotta do. People who like their party. And so, because these things interest me, there are places that like follow the police scanner and list what happened during the parade right and we were keeping up with it after the parade and they were counting this year because of increased security i'm sure we were down to 19 arrests down from 54 from last year which was a great job that's very impressive yeah and we were reading one statement about they found a gun and at first we were all very nervous because Mm -hmm. in the current climate being a gay person and thinking of guns is very scary But then we read, they found it near the metro stop, near the train, and someone was running and dropped their gun. And we all found that very relieving. Uh Because it wasn't someone packing an assault rifle to shoot up the Pride Parade. It was just a normal Chicago person carrying his gun who happened to drop it. Yeah. That's where I live. And what I I really want want to know is, like, is my shock and, like, whatever by that statement does that seem weird to you or can you get it i i understand your shock uh-huh. i think if i had a magic button i would absolutely take everyone's guns away yeah and make yeah. everyone feel okay about that <laughs> exactly like that's that's the problem is yeah you know ch- change is slow there's a lot of parties who are being either honest or disingenuous about their motivations and it's hard yeah. to sort that all out and that's like the argument of gun control and the right to bear arms is as core to i think the american political system itself yeah you know guns are ingrained in our culture yeah for better or for worse we quote unquote tamed the west like when we drove all the other indigenous people out of our country with the guns they didn't have yeah nowadays there's some very scary stuff that happens. But, like, I very rarely watch normal television, except Big Brother started, so uh, I'm getting ripped <laughs> into that. So I'm not proud of it. We all have our vices, don't worry. <laughs> so I don't often, you know, have to deal with commercials or things like that, or, or with the rest of my friends. But Big Brother will end, and the Chicago News will come on, and they'll be like, three dead on the south side in a shooting outside of a school. And we're like, turn it off, turn it off. Right. Because that's what the news always starts with in Chicago. Right. Someone else was shot. Someone else was, um, maybe to bring it forward or back a little bit, it is, it is always tragic when anyone is the victim of any kind of gun violence. Yeah. What is interesting, and one of the things that Assassins explores, is... What's the difference between a murderer and an assassin? Yes. 
Yeah. How famous does the person you kill need to be before you become an assassin? Yeah. And a lot of it is is predicated on what the reaction is afterwards. And it's these are dark, dark questions to be asking in a piece of musical theater. I, I mean, until until I found Assassin, I wasn't aware, or I never thought about there being a difference between a murderer and an assassin. But mm-hmm. what makes an assassin an assassin? And what the show obviously talks about, I'm trying to find the exact line, Lee Harvey Oswald says to John Wilkes Booth, he says, you just said I should kill the president. John Wilkes Booth replies with, Lee, when you kill a president, it isn't murder. Murder is a tawdry little crime. It's born of greed or lust or liquor. Adulterers and shopkeepers get murdered. But when a president gets killed, when Julius Caesar got killed, he was assassinated. It takes a lot of men to make a gun. Hundreds, many men to make a gun. Men in the mines to dig the iron. Men in the mills to forge the steel. Men in machines to turn the barrel. Mold the trigger, shape the wheel. It takes a lot of men to make a gun. One gun. And all you have to do is move your little finger. Move your little finger and... You can change the world Why should you be blue when You move your little finger Prove how just a little finger can I hate this gun The whole thing is about trying to draw common threads between ridiculously diverse crazy people. Yeah who happened to have one thing in common that they wanted to kill the president at one point. And I think one of the big common threads is that they, they want to send a big message, whatever their message is, yeah. whether they become so disillusioned that all the smaller messages don't work or whether they feel their purpose is so great that no other thing will satisfy. They all want to make a big, big deal mm-hmm. out of this. And I I don't know. There's something. So maybe traveling your way across the pond, Mm -hmm. maybe I just because I'm from America and we're ignorant, (laughs) but I don't hear of people trying to assassinate the queen, like assassinating the president, specifically assassinating the president of the United States. Yes. Seems like such a specific trope, such a specific idea that is very unique to our country, our leader, our culture, and the message that that would send. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if there has been as moving a national incident as the assassination of JFK on a global scale. Yeah, global. Like, it really was global. You look, when you think of world leaders, you think of the President of the United States, you think of the Queen, mm-hmm. and, you know, whoever Russia's touting that week. Like, right. it's they, that, <laughs> when you think of these world leaders, because these are the These most powerful the, people. The figureheads, yeah. Exactly, well, yeah. Figureheads as opposed to power because the queen has none. The queen. Uh, <laughs> bless her. Um, <laughs> but, like, these are, these are like you say, the figureheads um, of the, the world. But then the the one, you know, when was the last time the, what, what are they the president of Russia? Is that? Prime Minister, I think The Prime Minister Russia. of Russia. Yeah. Pardon my American ignorance. Um, <laughs> but how, how many, you know, 
Name a yeah. prime minister who was assassinated in Russia. <laughs> exactly. Name a, name a royal family member who was shot and not beheaded. Like Yeah, yeah. Um, and that, that's it. I mean, does that come from the fact that it's harder to do elsewhere mm -hmm. because of things like gun control? Or does it come from the fact that, like, written into our founding documents is we want to give the citizens guns yeah. so that yeah. they can defeat the government if they need to? Yeah. It, 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 you reach a point where it seems like some of the core values are, of our country are if you, want to, if you want to shoot the president, you can. And yeah. Because that's the thing is it's, is it's not it, it doesn't come from a like, gosh, I, you know, I'm really angry in this moment. It comes from a long stemming like I've tried this, I've tried this, I've tried this. Oh, well, last resort is this, which is, is I think that's scary because it's like that's what it's leading up to. It's a planned thing as opposed to. A, a spontaneous from the heart thing, which isn't any more forgivable, but it makes more psychological sense. Yeah. I mean, I think this is the thing, and we've touched on it a bunch, Jimmy, but that makes this show feel so relevant today. Yeah. Is because the, the quote unquote bad things in the world yeah. that have been happening, I don't mean quote unquote, I mean like unfortunate big bucket of bad things that happening, but everything from the the shooting in Orlando to the shooting in the UK to our the the changes in the European Union and the UK to our awful presumptive Republican nominee for president the old DT yeah. a lot of them seem to be spurred by individual people who are dissatisfied with the life they've see they felt they've been dealt and have run out of options. And then they're exercising that through racism or homophobia or xenophobia or, or just other, you know, fake names we wrap the word hate in. And it is, I, don't, I mean, I don't know what it, what it is about 2016. Yeah. But, oh my God, you know, like, when we look back at this year in history, yeah, I can only imagine how it's going to be taught. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm hoping we go on, you know, it's, it is, it, it like, I hope we go on an upswing. <laughs> well, this is it, is I hope that, you know, the, oh, remember the first half of 2016 was so bad, but how great was the second right. half? It's <laughs> Do you not know what like, I mean? Do you remember 2016, the year when it all started? Right. Like, yeah. I mean, oh God, don't even say it. I don't, from, from like a, a British perspective, and I know we've got a lot of like British listeners, mm -hmm. what's happened recently mm -hmm. I, again, I hadn't really realised how much A, the show kind of ties into it, and A, a about how, B, about how I felt about it, till I listened to the show, which I just chose to listen to out of, like, nostalgia. This is before we decided to do the, the podcast. And, um, because I, I just went through, like, a series of, like, political shows. So, yeah, I, listened to, I listened to Ragtime, I listened to Billy Elliot, um, I listened to Hamilton, and I listened to Assassins, and it was... The, the bit that kind of rang in my ears mm -hmm. so loudly was what's on the, the 2004 recording with Sam Bick's second monologue that he has in the show and the one that's the one that's recorded first of all also sidebar amazing that they put those scenes oh it's wonderful recording. it's like my favorite thing like, it's, it's great it's like you get the show on yeah, the recording exactly like shikaboom do it with every show that you record because it's so please great. yes Absolutely. But right, so, and I've, I've written down what he says, the bit that particularly kind of rang true to me. So, oh, to give it a bit of context, if you've not listened to it, basically, Sam Bick uh, tried to assassinate Richard Nixon mm -hmm. by flying a plane into the White House. That was his aim. He didn't get the plane off the ground, thankfully. But basically, what he was doing is he 
through a series of depression and failed life, he was recording tapes to various notable people to kind of vent his frustrations. So this one, in the show that he sent, he's sending actually to Nixon as he's driving to the airport to get the plane. And this is just a bit from it. So he says, the Democrat says he'll fix everything. The Republican fucked up. The Republican says he'll fix everything. The Democrat fucked up. Who's telling the truth? Who's lying? Someone's lying. Who? We read, we guess, we argue, but deep down we know that we don't know. How can we? Oil embargoes, megatons holding the ozone. Who can understand this crap? We need to believe, to trust like little kids, that someone wants what's best for us. And I was like... Shit. (laughs) Because that idea of lying and, you know, these politicians who we put so much, so much of our lives into their hands... It's really scary the power that they have, and that was. I was like, I get, I get this disillusionment. You know what I mean? And I, I'm seeing people who are approaching that, and it's not like one isolated individual. It's a nation, like a nation of people are feeling this way. Because obviously, like what's happening in the UK is that I mean, everyone's probably aware because the world news. But we voted to leave the European Union, and since they realise well, everyone now realises that there was no plan. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just a thing to do. And the people who wanted us to leave have no ideas about how we move forward from here. Mm-hmm. And that's so scary. And, you know, we find that there's lots of people now who voted to leave who are regretting it mm-hmm. in, in a big way as well, you know. But then there's also, like, I've never seen before in the UK this much hate like the UK, we're we're fine, you know. What I mean, like we we do all right. There's obviously racism, there's obviously homophobia. We're a small island with a very multicultural population, right? But it's it's never gotten to a stage where people act on it. It's very passive, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, which I have my own problems with, but for the first time, people are being vocal about it. And some of the videos that I've seen in the past, like seventy two hours, not even weeks, are horrifying yeah things i've never seen before in the uk and i feel it's all stemmed from this idea of lying Uh, it's it's reaching a point where i want to live in a world where politics is boring where like really boring people get elected to office and then Uh go and do their boring government job where they pass boring laws to keep our boring country equally as boring as it always has been like I can I can't imagine anything nicer. It wasn't supposed to be like this. It wasn't, but it is. And schmucks like you, you're telling us it isn't? Everything's fine. It's great. It's Miller time. What Miller time? The woods are burning, Dick. What can we do? We want to make things better. How? Let's hold an election. Great. The Democrat says he'll fix everything. The Republicans fucked up. The Republican says he'll fix everything. The Democrats fucked up. Who's telling us the truth? Who's lying? Someone's lying. Who? We read, we guess, we argue. But deep down, we know that we don't know. How can we? Oil embargoes megatons and holes in the ozone who can understand this crap we need to believe 
to trust like little kids that someone wants what's best for us, that someone's looking out for us, that someone loves us. Do they? No, they lie to us. They lie about what's right, they lie about what's wrong, they lie about the fucking hamburgers! And when we realize they're lying, really realize it in our gut, then we get scared. Then we get terrified. Like children waking in the dark. We don't know where we are. I don't want to have to worry about politics. Yeah. Do you know, it's not something we necessarily should be worrying about. It's why we have elected officials. Right. Because we're not supposed to make these decisions. The people of Britain should not decide whether or not we stay in the U European Union. Nobody had a clue about anything when it came to that. Because, like, we're talking about pages and pages of constitutions and contracts and deals that have been, you know, built up over years and years. And they expected the British general public to be able to understand everything that's happened? Of course not. But instead, just like the, just like the characters in this show, yeah. they find the one issue they're mad about, a crazy fictional man says, here, take this gun and kill the president, and it's going to solve your stomach problems. Yeah. And, they, and then, you know, they goes, you really think that'll help? And the person with the gun goes, well, it couldn't hurt. Exactly. And they're like, well, yeah, of course, okay, cool. You know, that would make me happy. Which... In in a darker state of mind, I'm not. I don't want to end up on your watch list, FBI. I'm not going to go and kill <laughs> the president. Yeah, but I I empathize with that line of reasoning. Mm -hmm. If you've reached the end of your rope, the only thing you can do is hang yourself. And that's that's you know when they in the final scene when they bring in this idea of suicide and assassination, whether like like this idea that they're like yin yang to each other, which is baffling to me because what um and i think it gets brought up into that you either reach the end of your life or you do the last thing that you can possibly do of take someone else's yeah ah yeah ah yeah it's and, it's nuts well and it's like we're juggling this is all stuff tough stuff to talk about we're juggling with the worth of a person's life and i think that harkens back to the question of when are you murdered and when are you assassinated yeah uh -huh. that at least the assumption is that someone who is assassinated is has more worth to their life. Mm. The fact that they have died means we've missed out on the rest of the stuff they're going to do. Mm -hmm. Whereas, like, the, the assassins in this show s seem to have been spent in their not only, really, not only their own self-assessment of their personal worth, but I would wager also the audience's assessment of yeah. their personal worth. There's no assassin in the show, maybe if it's because of the way history has painted them, or maybe it's true, or you're like, but if you just didn't do this, think of all the good you would have been able to do, mm -hmm. John Wilkes Booth. Like, that's, yeah. that's, not a, that's not a thought, that's not a thing people have. But, like, that's it, it's like, the art, they're just the ordinary people. Yeah. That's what they start off as, and they've now ruin themselves yeah. well, do you know in, what I mean? in an effort to become extraordinary yeah let's take let's take a little minute to like talk through each of them yeah because they're fascinating they're all they're all fascinating and this is all i always feel bad about this we're never supposed to and like it's, it's steven sondheim's fault he made this happen exactly we're exactly. not but supposed to talk <laughs> about the assassins i know but that's that's the thing is you feel like you should because it's a warning of 
don't become these people. Yeah, but it's <laughs> don't also don't become these people. I mean that that is that is the paradox of this show. Had John Wilkes Booth not traveled through time to comfort Lee Harvey Oswald, right, and bring up Brutus, would Lee Harvey Oswald have shot JFK? Anyway, let's talk about some assassins. All right, <laughs> so let's let's do them in order of importance. Okay. Uh, so obviously we've got JWB, JWB, John Wilkes Booth. Former actor, yep. assassinated President Abraham Lincoln over the Civil War. Exactly. And so that's the, the kind of furthest back. He was the first one, effectively. Mm. Yeah. They do, Sondheim talks about in Finishing the Hat, they've neglected three potential assassins. Uh, I think three from America. And then there were other ones, obviously, throughout the world. They, had, they made the decision at some point to limit it to people who attempted to assassinate the president of the U.S. Yes, exactly, and the others kind of get a name check. Yeah, but you know they're not they're not right. Technically, the, the first person to attempt to kill a president was Richard Lawrence, who tried to kill Andrew Jackson, but it was just kind of. Is Andrew Jackson before Abraham Lincoln? Yes. Oh, well, he's got his whole own musical, so that's true. Go see that one. <laughs> I think we'll see assassins. Yeah. Um, so John Wilkes Booth is the one who matters. Yes, he started the, the movement. Well, and he did it for political purpose. Yeah, and I think that's, from all of the assassins in this show, well, most of them, there's something political about their motive. Yeah, something. Whether, something. whether it seems appropriate or not. Yeah, with maybe the exception of one or two. But <laughs> we've identified a theme. Right? Yeah. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Johnny Booth was a handsome devil. Got up in his rings and fancy silks. Had him a temper but kept it level Everybody called him Wilkes Why did you do it, Johnny? Nobody agrees You who had everything What made you bring a nation to its knees? Some say it was your voice had gone Some say it was booze They say you killed a country, John Because of bad reviews So next we've got, let's say, Cholgosh Cholgosh, Leon yep. Cholgosh. Leon Cholgosh. I really wanted to just hear you try and pronounce his name because I know how much you love it's, pronouncing I'm names. I'm so good with it. If if Neil Patrick Harris didn't sing it a whole bunch, I'd be much yeah, worse. Exactly. And I'm still nervous <laughs> about it every time. Fair enough. Fair enough. So he was an immigrant steelworker who assassinated Bill McKinley after meeting Emma Goldman, which also features in the show. Emma Goldman, weirdly popular in musical theatre. Weirdly popular in historical American musical theatre. Go figure. <laughs> exactly. She's an interesting character. Yeah. William McKinley was the 25th president of the United States. Oh yeah, I don't know if we're doing this sequentially. I don't think we are. We're not, but the show, it's worth noting, the show presents nothing sequentially. That's true. So we're not going to be... What you should do is when you edit this, yeah. just sentence by sentence. Just put it all, all word, by, word by word. I'll just rearrange the whole thing. <laughs> and you work it out, okay. Yeah, so he, he met her and she was obviously a very radical anarchist and taught him all about social justice and the poor man rising up and taking back what's theirs. There were his... 
motivations. Yeah, also very politically motivated. Chol gosh, working man, born in the middle of Michigan, woke with a thought and away he ran to the Pan American Exposition in Buffalo, in Buffalo. All of a sudden how things were run Said time's a waste and it's 19-1 Some men have everything and some have none So rise and shine In the USA you can work your way To the head of the line So I'm eating a cookie, more <laughs> ASMR for you mm. <laughs> You call them cookies, not No, biscuits. I'm calling them cookies for the American audience oh, Okay, you would call it's, it a biscuit For you Brits listening, it's a Jaffa cake <laughs> I know what a Jaffa cake is Do you? You have I Jaffa do. cakes? We don't have them, but I know what they are well, well done you for being cultured. <laughs> do you do you have Oreos? Of course we have Oreos. Okay. I guess it's a similar thing. Yeah. But we don't have like you know you have like 90 different types of Oreo. Right. We've just got like Oreo Normal and Oreos. double stuffed. We have watermelon Oreos. Vile, stop it. Wrap your like, mind around that. Ugh, get out. <laughs> get out. Awful. Anyway, uh, assassins. assassins. Should we go for Gato? Charlie Gato. Played wonderfully by Dennis O'Hare in a revival. I'm a big Dennis O'Hare fan. They're all in the one between all of the productions of this, mm -hmm. the original, all the revivals, it's just it's like a laundry list of great people. Yeah, totally. Victor Garber. Victor was that Garber. One of his first things as well. I think so. I mean, he did a lot of stuff very, very young. He was in a uh -huh. um, Godspell. Very early on, was he? Was I think he, he was Godspell? Jesus in Godspell. Very, very early on. No way, I can't. I can remember vocally. I can see that. Oh, I love. Oh, he was. Yeah, like, like, wow. real early on. He's in the movie Godspell. Uh huh. Deborah Monk was in the original cast. Terrence Mann, um, like all sorts of names. And then you get yeah. to the the Broadway revival with old NPH. It just it's lovely people. Oh, what a dream. People. What a dream. Anyway, so we've got Kato. Kato. Who is like the one of the comic relief characters in the <laughs> show. Yeah, one of the funniest assassins. <laughs> and what, I guess, what Weidman is on him have done here is they've kind of taken his... Because he's one, also one of the most insane of the bunch. And they've taken his, I guess, kind of insanity and uh -huh. played on that in a nice, like, funny way. Like, ah, Look at the silly man with all these delusions of grandeur. <laughs> and so he and he also gets one of the funnest numbers as well in the show. Yeah. So he assassinated James Garfield, who I don't know anything about. James Garfield was the 20th president of the United States. Okay. Did he do any? Like, what was he? He's one of the lesser presidents. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of them. Okay. But he personally offended Charles Gateau, basically. What Charles Gateau did was wrote a completely stupid, garbled, incoherent campaign speech for James Garfield before he was elected president. And from that, he never used it or anything, but mm. from that, Gateau was like, I got you to be president, so do you want to make me the ambassador to France, please? <laughs> and James Garfield was like, who are you? I don't actually know if that conversation happened in real life or whether it was just the disillusionment. I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if it has happened because Sondheim totes his historical accuracy. Oh my god, there's so much historical accuracy, and not which is specifically weird. about that one, but with a lot of other things, so I wouldn't be yeah. surprised. He basically kills him because he's annoyed that he didn't get Ambassador to France. Yes. Which is absolutely nuts. And then Charles Gateau himself got hang mm -hmm. and that's what the song is about obviously and he wrote but for just to capture his craziness he wrote a little song 
the day of the, the hanging called I Am Going to the Lordy, which he asked if he could get an orchestra for, was turned down, surprisingly. Surprisingly. Who would have guessed? And so Sondheim, I, I love that little tidbit in uh, Luca Meda, where he's like, I've only ever used someone else's lyrics twice. Yeah. <laughs> and one of them <laughs> is to immortalise Charles Gateau. Oh, um, and he uses this little ditty song that he sings as he cakewalks up to the gallows. Charlie Gateau never said never or heard the word no. Faced with disaster, his heart would beat faster, his smile would just grow. And he'd say, Look on the right side, look on the right side, sit on the right side of the Lord. This is the land of opportunity, he is your lightning, you his sword. Wait till you see tomorrow, tomorrow you'll get your reward. You can be sad or you can be president, look on the right side. So yeah, let's go on to Zangara. Zangara. another nut job. Just crazy. Absolutely. And bless him, he... Well, don't bless him. <laughs> Take that away. Redact that comment. Um, but so he his assassination attempt was just thwarted from the get go mm-hmm. uh, because he was short. Yep, he wanted to shoot Franklin D. Roosevelt, yeah, uh, who was not quite yet president. Is he the one that's an Annie, or is that Teddy? I don't know. I get them all confused. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> he's the one in Annie. Teddy Roosevelt is the one with the mustache. Okay, cool. I mean, I love it. So therefore, he was not an Annie because right. he has no. T- Teddy Roosevelt is the one who you'll see like riding a horse with a gun and goes bully. That's right, Teddy okay. Roosevelt. Cool. He's in a night at the museum, played by the wonderful Robin Williams. Okay, I've not seen that. But <laughs> it's not a it's not a good movie. But yeah, there's another you know historical character who's featured in many a musical. Uh, <laughs> he yeah, it was too short. Stood up in a chair. This was at the um in Miami. In Miami. Was he doing like a roadshow or something? He yes, because he was the he was giving a speech. Frank FDR was giving a speech. Cool. And Zangara was thwarted by five bystanders. Yes, apparently every single one of them stopped him yeah. individually. And they uh, sing so a song about many it. Attempts. And again, right? So this song, fantastic cultural look at the world uh, because, and again, more relevant now than ever because it's all about media grabbing. So this is a big problem I have. And do you know what? Something that was really highlighted to me with Orlando. Uh-huh. Now with, I mean, with Orlando, that was the first kind of like big thing that like deeply affected me. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean, I was really upset for many days as many, many people were. But one of the things that I guess angered me about it was just seeing people fight over who could claim it. And I was just like, that ain't the, that ain't the point. Yeah, who, <laughs> I mean, who cares? Exactly. Who ca- like these people have died, and they are right. people. Right. What and they are, or yeah. who they are. The the moment you start trying to find the like, yeah, it's it was very that, frustrating. It, I find it so angry and upsetting, and that's kind of what this number. I mean, it isn't. It's not about that, but it's what it talks about is this idea of like people forget what happened, and it became about oh my gosh, it affected me. In this way, and I was involved, and it's all I like the, I, I what, know it. What an event! Oh, is this? Are we? Are we on the radio now? Is exactly. this live? Exactly. This is my husband. We're from me, and yeah, it was awful. And you see that? You see everyone trying to like, oh gosh, yeah, it involved me. You know, in the meantime, Anton Cermak is dying in hospital. Mm-hmm. Anton Cermak 
mayor of Chicago. Well, they're chatting about how the band was fantastic, and you're just like, yeah. this is nonsense. And it's it's very one Sondheim says there were five bystanders. This ha- like they didn't sing it, but this happened. Yeah, and then to know that this happened then, and this happens all the time. Now, exactly with our 24 7 news media coverage yeah. people just wanting to get on tv to say their thing it's just frustrating we take you now to a group of eyewitnesses who will tell us what they saw we're crowded up close and i see this guy he's squeezing by i catch his eye i say to him where do you think you're trying to go boy whoa boy i say listen you run you're not pulling that stunt no gentleman pushes their way to the front i say move to the back which he does with a grunt which is how I save Roosevelt. Then, while well, I'm in my seat, I get up to clap. I feel this tap. I turn the sap. He says he can't see. I say, find a lap and go sit on it. Which is how I say. It's hard to swear. And he climbed on a chair. He was aiming a gun. I was standing right there. So I pushed it as hard as I could in the air. Which is how I saved Roosevelt. Lucky I was there. That's why he was standing back so far. That's why when he aimed, he missed the car. Just lucky I was there. Let's go to Sam Beck. Yes. We've already kind of talked about, Mm -hmm. so don't need to go on about him too much. But yeah, he... He wanted to hijack a plane, was kind of crazy. He he has, his monologue is the have it your way monologue, right? Yes, exactly. So he actually, he doesn't, he doesn't have like a solo song in the show. He's got two really, really long monologues. All all very seeped in... This is another thing that makes this show very real to me. Like they, mm-hmm. they don't talk about like I'm going to go eat a hamburger. He's like eating a Whopper from Burger King. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. There, there are name brands throughout this whole thing. Yeah, which of course it's real. It's real, but also it's American. Do you know what I mean? And it, that's what gives it that stamp of this is America. Well, and it, even just his like the fact that have it your way is a slogan <laughs> of a burger chain in America. Uh-huh. Because, of course it is, because we're America. You can have your hamburger however you want it. That's something we embody. But yeah. what happens when you can't have your hamburger the way you want it? Exactly. You kill a president. Right. Which is part of his thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that should not be brought into it. Interesting tidbit. Have it your way isn't our slogan for Burger King. I wonder... I don't know if it's our slogan anymore. It's definitely oh, right, okay. it's definitely permeated the culture enough that I could say have it your way and people would be like, "Oh yeah, Burger King." Uh-huh. Cuz yeah, cuz I remember the first time I listened to it and it was like, "Have it your way, have it your way." I was mm-hmm. like, "What's that?" Yeah. Very very American, very yeah. American. Yeah, American. See, he's got two great monologues. Really good if, you know, people out there are interested in audition pieces. Yeah. Great audition pieces. Wonderful. Pick I would always pick the second one because it's more of a story next time you're auditioning for jimmy you know which monologue to pick now yes you do <laughs> have it your way have it your way you know what my way is hot how about a hamburger that's fucking hot don't blame me i'm from massachusetts you want to talk about the gals let's talk about the ladies oh man Sarah Jane Moore. <laughs> it's really funny. just a pause. I was just about to say, I love these two. It's, what <laughs> it's, is the show? You can't just say that. <laughs> like, but they're really entertaining. And they're so entertaining. Like that's that is that is the paradox of this show. Right. Sarah Jane Moore and Lynette Squeaky. Squeaky Fromm, little squeaky. Little yeah, squeaky. Uh-huh. Both attempted to assassinate President Gerald Ford. Yep. 
completely separately from each yeah, other. Two weeks apart. Didn't, <laughs> didn't know each other, had nothing to do with each other. Also different views as well. Like they, they weren't, you know, going for the same battle. Like. Totally different kinds of crazy. But in this show, because we live in limbo, they just hang out with each other and chat. In what I think is actually one of the funniest scenes I've seen in musical theatre. Absolutely. Like, this is like up there with the producers, my friend. Like, I love the scene. Like, directing this scene was a treat because it was so full of comedy. Yeah. In fact, both of their scenes are great, but scene six in particular, <laughs> stunning. Yeah. yeah, they get high together and they chat about their lives and how they're kind of not what they expected. So Lynette Fromm is one of the Manson family, mm-hmm. and apparently, turns out she was one of the the most devoted of the Mansons. I don't know whether she's getting that title because she tried to assassinate Jerry Ford. That was her, Sarah Jane Moore. I think it's actually the most interesting. Why do you say that? Because she's the most ordinary, and she's also the only one that's still alive today. <laughs> Which again uh, is really interesting. I don't think she's dead yet. Is I don't think Squeaky's dead either. Now she's she's on parole. Oh, is she? Yeah. <laughs> Good Watch maybe, out. Maybe she's listening. Hi, Squeaky. <laughs> hey. Do you think? What do you think? Wow. So she's out on parole in two thousand nine. Mm. Do you think she knew there was a musical she's in? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Sarah Jane Moore. She's out. She's out as well. Um, she's been on. She's been interviewed since, huh. and she talks about how she regrets it. Do you know what I mean? Huh. She talks really openly about, uh, you know, if she could go back, she wouldn't have done it. And it wasn't just because, oh, I got put in prison. It's because she was like, no, I was disillusioned. Do you know what I mean? I, my mind had been warped. But yeah, what I find so interesting about Sarah Jane Moore, basically, you know, she, she had four kids. She, I think she had like five marriages that all failed. She'd worked all these different government jobs and just nothing was working. And because of that, she decided to just get into radical leftist politics mm-hmm. and to make a big statement she decided well i'm gonna assassinate jerry ford and this was this was i think one of the prime examples of it could happen to you kind of thing like she was just so she just got to the end of her tether and was like stuff i'm just gonna do this now and obviously kind of seeing her now her being like wow i was so in it mm-hmm. she you know she isn't got a clinical diagnosis this wasn't pathological this was just political and that's what's real scary real real scary real real scary but the pair of them are great fun they're great their scene is just and like that it makes you uncomfortable and then we've got mr hinkley crazy is that mob again crazy crazy and that is crazy like we're talking out and out yeah so John Hinckley Jr. attempted to assassinate Ronald Reagan so that Jodie Foster would notice him. And that is it. That's it. That's the reason. There was no, like, and he was also being told by this group to do this. No, this was self-motivated because he became obsessed with Jodie Foster after watching Taxi Driver, which is also really creepy because she's like 16 in that movie. And has... A, a real, real creepy, pretty song written by Stephen Sondheim, Unworthy of Your Love. Ah, oh, the song. Oh my gosh, right. It's like, out of context, a very pretty love song. Yeah. A very pretty love song. A nice kind of, proper, almost like 80s style ballads of love. Then in context, when you know their backgrounds, it's terrifying. And it is, it's this idea of like obsessive love. That's what both him and From, who's, who's the other person singing the song, had. They were just so blindsidedly in love. 
with their counterparts that yeah. they would do anything and they try to. <laughs> Just insane. Interestingly, Sondheim in writing the music for Unworthy of Your Love makes a mistake intentionally. I'm not well versed in music theory, but so I'm told, and you can hear it if you listen to it, mm-hmm. because the assumption is John Hinckley wrote this song himself yeah. and isn't the best musician, he would make a mistake. And so if you listen to the beginning chord progressions, like the the first set of chords, I think it's the third set of chords is mm-hmm. wrong. It's not what it should be or like one of the notes is wrong. Yeah. Because he, that's just, it's real. It's so interesting because that isn't, no, there's, there's not like a show note in the script to say that. It, you just have to work that out for yourself. And I remember Dan, who was my MD, my best bud, best bud Dan, you sometimes listen. Um, <laughs> he, he, we, we were like, he, I think he thought like, oh, that's probably the reasoning for it. Because we did have like a live guitarist on stage. And yeah, how great is that? What a great little Easter egg. It's wonderful. I, I mean, in reading the stuff Sondheim writes about this, and I don't know whether this is wonderful or scary, mm-hmm. but he seemed to struggle the least in writing this show than in any of the other yeah. Sondheim shows I've read details about. It feels about. just very like, tick box, tick box, dun dun yep. dun 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 Like, it cool. sounds like they, they talked about it for years and then just kind of vomited it all out. Yeah. And then it happened. Normally, when you're writing a show, you work together and you go over, right, what have you done? What have you done? Blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. Sondheim didn't read the script until he finished the musical. <laughs> like, yep. what's that about? <laughs> Especially a script like this. Like, yeah. They collaborated without even talking with each other. And, like, had a, a general sense of the structure and, like, what happens in what scene, but the specific stuff. And here, you know, here we are saying it's one of the most complete shows. Yeah. What is that magic? Absolute theatre magic. I am nothing. You are wind and water and sky Jody, tell me Jody how I can earn your love I would swim oceans, I would move mountains I would do anything for you What do you want me to do? I am unworthy of your love Jody, Jody Let me prove worthy of your love Tell me how I can earn your love Set me free How can I turn your love to me? Oh, then I guess we've got Lee Harvey Oswald. You guess we've got. I mean, like, he is the linchpin of this story. He is. And and done in such a great way. Like, I think, I don't know what it's about Sondheim musicals, but, like, he does a twist really well. Yeah. Not necessarily, like, oh my god, plot twist, just, like, convention twist. Yeah. Do you mean, like, Into the Woods, act, end of Act One, or... Yeah. Sunday Park with George, end of Act One, like, <laughs> he, he just goes wishing... And this one is is just wonderful. Right. And horrifying. Like, you know, great from a musical theatre construction standpoint, and then in context, terrifying. So originally, um, Lee Harvey Oswald was a separate character, and he came in after they all sang another national anthem together and kind of rallied themselves up and travelled through time. And he was a separate character. What they did in the revivals, and I think any other production that I've seen and or directed 
has done the new thing, which is to make the balladeer Lee Harvey Oswald. And whether that is he has always been Lee Harvey Oswald, or whether that is it's a just a pure case of just pure doubling, or whether it's some sort of transformative thing, it works. It, it works, works very really well. well. It makes a lot of sense. And Lee Harvey Oswald, at least in this case, is cast somewhat as a, a reluctant assassin, at least at the beginning. In the original script, and I think this gets pared down when he transforms, he w- wasn't like John Wilkes Booth performs a magic trick, basically, to give him a rifle. Yeah, and that no, it's the exact same. Is it in, okay in the future? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. John Wilkes Booth is like, what do you what do you have in that package over there? Um, and he's like, some curtain rods. Curtain rods. <laughs> and Booth is like, look again, and it's a gun. And he's like, what the hell is going on? And uh, you know, I mean, you do you suspend that disbelief? You don't really care because you don't really need to know the motivation to see this part. You know, I mean, this is just everything coming together. And what I think is really interesting, and I don't know if this is still true. There's obviously so much conspiracy mm-hmm. around, around Lee Harvey Oswald, and nobody still knows his motivations. Obviously, he's, he died right. before he could ever yeah, be. Well, he was he was to. shot. Yeah, like and there's in, that there's that picture, isn't there? Like of that, like he was he was shot unintentionally is the wrong word, but like he wasn't sh- like he was shot by a member of the public. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, it was almost assassinated. He, he in a was way. assassinated. Yeah. yeah, and there's there is so much, obviously, because everyone loves a the conspiracy theory, and because JFK is so huge, the the amount of conspiracy theory, like that was like the birth of the conspiracy theory, almost. And that I mean, that's part of the success of this scene and of the whole thing is like it's it's predicated on your previous knowledge. Yeah, you know they don't they don't spend a lot of time in exposition explaining who these people are, if you know already. Yeah. It's like Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah, do you know what? That's actually a really interesting point. Because I think in America, that would fly. But in over here... So when we did our first show, uh-huh. people left and they were like, yeah, all right, didn't really understand it, but, you know, it was, like, good fun. Um, uh-huh. And I was like, whoa, okay. You just said it was good fun. We'll <laughs> be going back and working that out. And they were like, yeah, I didn't really understand who anyone was. And I was like, right. So what we did for the second night was give a cheat sheet basically of who of the people are here they all are and then like literally that night people are like oh my god that you know i mean them it, they got it well because that's lee's lee harvey oswald's scene is is structured to be the twist scene to be the reveal like yeah. he doesn't i'm trying to find it here they don't say his name for a long time that's true. You know it's a Texas book depository, so if you know your stuff... If you know it, like, they give you the hints, but slowly, and then Booth says Lee a couple times, but just sideways. Um, and then, you know, they, they, call, they call him Lee just a couple times, and then at one point, where is the part about what's it with these... Um, so yeah, it's when they do the call out into the audience to hear all of the other assassins who have joined them. And then he's like, yeah, what is it with all these goddamn assassins and their three names? Uh, and he's like, Lee Harvey Oswald! <laughs> like, but it's like, it's that moment where that's the turning point. That's yeah. where Lee Harvey Oswald realizes not only does he have three names, but he is an assassin. And that it could be him. Like, that is when he gets convinced. Well, obviously there's then the big Italian speech, but that's right. when he's like, okay, I could do this. And then they just tell him why you should do this because this is what is about to happen. In a really great little bit with yeah. the Italian. It's wonderful. So they have... Um, Zangara. 
Yeah, thank you. And all the other assassins, basically, pleading for Lee to do this to legitimize them. Yeah, to immortalize them in history. And they tell them all of the things that happen as part of the fallout of JFK's assassination. Yeah. And it, it, that is when you really realize how big this thing is, do you know what I mean? And how important and significant. Yeah, there's, there's a great moment where Booth turns to Hinckley and asks him things like... Um, you know, uh, what was what was Lee Harvey Oswald's dog name and like all these random facts. And Booth says when after they arrested Hinckley, they found in his in his house every book about you ever written. Absolutely nuts. Like it's it's heavy. And I think that's like if you ask people outside of the US, mm-hmm. name a president that got assassinated, they'd say JFK or they'd say Lincoln. But I think the first one they would come to would be JFK. And, you know, I mean, I didn't even know half the others before we did the show. Nope. listen to the show. Like, I'm sure a lot of Americans don't even yeah. know the full details. The, the goal of the show is, like, shoot a president and you'll be recognized. Yeah. And for Lee Harvey Oswald, at least, that worked. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, it's not a good moral. <laughs> it's not, not a, It's not a good... That was the question I had. I wrote this down. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like this is a musical... This is an amoral, anti-call-to-action musical. Like most, yeah. all, all, every single musical theater show I listen to has like a, and you, audience member, when you go home tonight, careful of the things you say, children will listen. Yeah. Or remember, to love another person is to see the face of God. Yeah. Or whatever they offer you, don't feed the plants. Like, yeah. there's that, like, moral of the story at the end of the day. Yeah. The moral of the story in Assassins is maybe everybody has a right to their dreams, but it's not like they're saying everyone has a right to their dreams. So you can kill a president too. Yeah. Which is not, I don't think, you know, clearly it hasn't led to an uptick in assassinations. (laughs) Yeah, no one's yet to blame sometimes assassins is the cause. Well, I went to see assassins and then, you know, I shot the president. That's the thing, and I think now, because you have something just broke, I don't think you ever could. I think before... It was kind of... It's almost like a rallying cry, like... Yeah. Because you didn't have that moment of, and this is what happens when you do it. It's a case of, like, we're immortalised. Yeah. If you had someone who was a little bit screwless in that original audience, I mean, that's dangerous stuff. And the, the something just broke was implied in it all, but it was still just implied. Yeah, completely. And that's the thing is now, because the last song, the last thing they say is, everybody's got the right to their dream. It is You almost just put a, a little negative in there, a little contraction of everybody's not got the right to their dream. Do you know what I mean? Because of how you feel about them. It's the difference between everyone can achieve their american dream and everyone Mm -hmm. should achieve their american dream exactly which is such oh it's chilling (laughs) somebody help me per favore ti prego ti supplico please we beseech you noi siamo disperati the hopeless ones the lost ones viviamo la nostra vita in esilio we live our lives in exile rimpatriati nella nostra terra expatriates in our own country siamo portati sin dalla nascita disperandoci inconsolabili inconsolable ma but Attraverso le tue azioni Possiamo sparare Attraverso le tue azioni Revivendoci dentro 
rendoci senso you and your act we are revived and given meaning ognuno della nostra vita our e lives, della nostra azione diventano significativi le nostre frustrazioni svaniscono Our frustrations fall away. I nostri sogni profondi diventano veri. Our fondest dreams come true. Oggi, today, attraverso te, siamo rinati. We are reborn through you. We need you, Lee. Without you, we're just footnotes in a history book. Disappointed office seeker. Deranged immigrant. Vainglorious actor. Without you, we're a bunch of freaks. With you. We are a force of history. We become immortal. Finally, we belong to one another. To the nation. To the ages. Bring us together, babe. If you think you can't connect, connect to us. You think you are powerless? Empower us. Oh, it's in your grasp, Lee. All you have to do is move your little finger. So I, I wrote down this phrase that I read somewhere a long time ago about this musical that Uh i wanted to ask you about i heard someone describe this musical as a docu-musical like it's a documentary and the connotation with that is there's a subset called history studies where you study like how we tell our history which is is contractually obligated very hamilton in (laughs) um in construction but like it our our the history you learn, the history we tell each other, the history we're stuck with is not factual. It is a construction we've made. Mm -hmm. Like, if you look at life right now, while there are a lot of reasons for a lot of things, most things just kind of happen randomly or haphazardly. Like, they could go any way, and there's not the same kind of through line, not like as solid of a through line contemporarily as we draw when we talk about things like the renaissance you know when we give you know the middle ages when we term these portions in history and try to draw lines through them um it's not saying that we're doing history wrong it's just acknowledging that we're retelling a story Mm -hmm. comprised of things we think of as facts and so this is a docu-musical as opposed to fictionalized history or dramatized history this is just a selective retelling of historical events to evoke a certain through line yeah and i think there are arguments on both sides but i I, think so that's a a really interesting point because i guess it isn't you know it's not the same as something like ragtime right which is historical fiction yeah and in a similar way it's expansive right or it's not even the same as uh, Hamilton, where right. or 1776, yeah, uh-huh. where like 1776 is an explicit line, like the, the <laughs> yeah, through line is, in 1776 yeah. is like start at the beginning and end at the end. Yeah, exactly. Or even with Hamilton, which uh-huh. then tries to draw these connections, but this one very specifically non-linearly retells the story. Yeah, and I think it as well, like it uses history mm-hmm. to give a meaning, do you know what I mean? To give them a message, which is exactly what a documentary does in a way. Do you know, it takes bits and bobs and pulls all together. It's like an essay. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Know? It's like an essay, but still very much with the purpose of, like, telling you about these things. Mm, yeah, it is, it is a story still. Yeah. But the story isn't... Yeah, it's, it's a document. Yeah, I think that's great. I like that. I a like docu-musical. That. I like, a that is one of the things that makes it very unique to me, because I can't think yeah. of another thing... Like no, it. that's it. It's, it's as a kind of formula, 
Because I think there is a formula to yeah. it. Well, Do you it's know a, what I mean? It's a review. I mean, that's what, mm. in, in his one-sentence description... Yeah, exactly. That's very true. His notion, Sondheim says... A book musical masquerading as a review featuring nine of the 13 assassins who have attempted to kill the president of the United States. Yeah. And that description, a book musical masquerading as a review, is beautiful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because that is what makes a good review. Do you know what I mean? I, there's nothing worse in my head than a song cycle. Uh. <laughs> like, that is, you know, I, I think this, yeah, it is because all the songs are completely separate from each other. Yeah. Um, they all have different musical motif. But it's still like if you threw these all these people into a bar together and watched them interact with each other, uh-huh. which is not... I mean, that's literally a scene in the show. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Like, you know, which is which is not that absurd of an idea, but it's not explored in other pieces of musical theater. That's the thing is, you know, if you take something like Songs for a New World, and I'm sure I'm going to get shot now. Oh, well, <laughs> you know, to use a pun um, <laughs> for slandering Songs for a New World. But, like, the, the, the reason... That, that isn't as great right is because it doesn't have that unifying factor yeah, yeah. and this it, it, this musical is so much more than the songs in it and the scenes in it everybody's got the right to be happy don't be mad life's not as bad as it seems if you keep your goal in sight can climb to any height Everybody's got the right to their dreams Everybody's got the right to be different If you wanna be different Even at times they go to extremes Go to extremes Anybody can prevail Everybody's free to fail no one can be put in jail for that. Well, and that's that's one thing I wonder as like seeing a production of Assassins not in America, mm-hmm. what was your sense of audience reactions or when you have seen it, does it feel like like do you leave like when I read Assassins or listen to Assassins, uh-huh. I think wow the world is a scary, terrifying place. Mm-hmm. When you see assassins, I would, I wonder, and I don't want to put the thought too much in your head, but uh, is it closer to like, exactly. wow, America, America is a strange really place. Yeah, uh, it's definitely America. And that's, it's, it's a very American show yeah. in many ways, because it's, like you said, like you said earlier, there's a thing that's quite specific to America. Yeah, definitely. When you leave, it's, we can feel a great sense of detachment from it. Still get hugely emotionally affected by it, but right. not in the sense like, oh, it's not going to happen in my doorstep. I don't, you know, I don't feel scared coming out of it. I just feel harrowed. I'm like, what horrible things happen in the world? So yeah, it's it's a it's a really interesting. But I think because any time it's been done in the UK, it's been hugely successful, which is a weird contrast to the states. That is that is really interesting. And I wonder if I wonder if that's why because. Yeah. I would. I think one of the things that makes Assassins a difficult show to produce in America is because how real and close it feels. Yeah, and like you know, there are pieces of art you take in once, and then you don't need to put them back in your mind because they affected Mm -hmm. you enough, and you don't want to go through that psychological trauma again. And I wonder if for some people, Assassins falls into that category. Into that category. Yeah, I know. I wonder. Whereas, like across the pond. It's, you know, you're, it's, it's us. It's your neighbors. Yeah. There's a distance to it. Because that's true. Like, 
there's been so many like films. I I go to films actually more than musicals, but I guess. but like yeah, something like Twelve Years a Slave. I'll mm-hmm. never watch that again. I don't need to. It's it's it scarred me. Like, the boy <laughs> in the striped pajamas. But yeah, exactly. Saw it once, done. But there's like there's pieces of art like that where you get it and then you don't need to get it again. <laughs> exactly. I have I have been affected. So yeah, I wonder if that is the case in the states. Like when I when I listen to it um, after after Orlando and after Brexit, it was therapeutic. Yeah. And I wonder would that be a good thing to, for people to see at the moment? I mean, it's certainly, I, I would wager personally that America does have a gun problem. And yeah. if there's a musical about America's gun problem, right. it's assassins. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, like it speaks volumes that after Orlando at the Tony Awards, they pulled the guns out of the Hamilton number. Right. Completely. Like that, that was the symbol of solidarity that that number pulled. And it was effective, whatever your opinion on guns. Uh-huh. And I, I wonder, like, if a really good director went in with almost, like, that being the focus, because that could easily also be the focus. Mm-hmm. Could they do something interesting with that? Well, and just know. even, it's, you know, it's about American politics, and we're in a ridiculous American political season. That's it. Like, I, you know, I mean, I feel like we need something. We need a ragtime. We need a... I say we. Right. But you know what I mean. Like, yeah. we need a rag... We need a, an assassin. Yeah. Maybe not a 1776. But... <laughs> right. Well, this is, this is where, like, l- I think you've certainly felt it. I know I have certainly felt it. But there, I, I even today questioned whether or not we should be talking about assassins. I, no, I completely agree with you. I complete and when, again, when I was, like, doing my notes and things today, I was just like, oh, is it sensitive? Is it? Right. And, and like, you know, I, I went to a gay bar last night to listen to music with my friends, and it is all still a whole new experience knowing that 49 people were shot in a gay bar yeah. in Florida a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Like, it's, we live in a new and interesting world, and there are, there are two reactions to tragedy. Either, like, hide it or stare deeper into the void so we could deal with it. Like, that mm-hmm. was the solution I came to in my mind yeah. about whether or not we should talk about this show, because mm-hmm. whether or not this is... Ex- explicitly or implicitly related to these things it makes me feel the same things exactly and so then it doesn't matter how much it's related yeah um and i i do feel like you know this is i'm preaching to the choir but art like this important art makes us stare into this tragic void in an effort to spur us to do something or to think about it or even just to keep it on our minds so that we remember it and i feel like in the same way that the Laramie Project did wonderful things. Oh my gosh, what a great example. Out of an awful tragedy. If you are an eloquent artist out there who is feeling moved to write something about this, please. Tommy, I can't agree with you more. This is this is the time, this is when things need to get written about. Because yeah. this is when it's so raw and there's so much that we can talk about. And it doesn't need to be reported. Like, it doesn't need to be snapshotting what's happening now. No. It's capturing this feeling that we have the feeling the moment whatever it is because we you like if you're listening to jimmy and i right now i hope you can feel how much we are struggling to articulate the things we feel gosh yeah because we live in a world where like us specifically live in a world where we express ourselves through the musical theater yeah and like we express ourselves through these complex pieces of art that spur difficult to grasp feelings and we've reached a point where we have the di- difficult to grasp feeling but not the art 
to experience it through. Completely, completely and utterly. It's like I've never really felt like this before. Mm-hmm. I don't want to sound wanky about it, but like I feel this is when I've realized that, oh, wait, art is important. Art's an important thing because it is therapy. I've never had that before where I've like had to console myself. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like this has been a whole new thing for me. And it just so happened that I found that consolation in art. Yeah. In, I mean, in musical theater. In musical theater, yeah, like, exactly. N- no joke, no metaphor. I would have been in a different mental space had the Tony Awards not continued that day. Oh my gosh, Tommy. Like, how much in yeah. that, do you know what I mean? Oh, I can't believe it. We've not even, this is post Tony's, yeah, this, this podcast. This is post Tony's. Like, but that evening was perfect like i just i you have to give your soul to the broadway community because they did it wonderfully and they they understand yeah like they understand the hurt and the feelings and and that was the thing like that night you could see it wasn't it wasn't a gay thing do you know what i mean they weren't coming from a gays love musical theater so it's you know i mean it was a this is the like a horrible thing to america and to the world do you know what i mean and we're all just gonna love do you know, yeah. and it was just that's all it was. It was just so much love. Oh, and it was amazing. It was so perfect. And God did we need it. Like Yeah. Like, please, you know, that it's <laughs> right now it's the only thing we have, it seems like. Yeah. The one the one stable thing in my life is musical theater. I know. Which is a weird place. I don't want to scroll through my timeline and I don't want to scroll through Reddit and look at that. Like no. Nope. I, I wanna just go and listen to shows and Yep. That try, you know, I mean, try and work it out. You know, the whole the whole world in a bunch of different, perhaps unrelated, but still contemporaneous ways feels unsurmountably depressing right yeah, now. Exactly, exactly. So let's all kick line or something. I think so. I think let's get some spangles <laughs> on on our backs and do the chorus chorus line finale, and we'll all be happier. <laughs> Go listen to some show tunes. Yeah, put on yeah. your Sunday clothes. <laughs> Haul, haul out the holly put up the tree that right uh and yeah listen to some musical theater listen to this show i think listen to this show. listen to this show listen to your other shows listen just find your escape go to it go to it and next week we'll do something a little happier i think so i think that's <laughs> game Oh, I've just realized something annoying. What? I was going to start the podcast as saying, hey, pal. What do I say? Well, I don't know, but just because oh. that's the first line of the show. Oh, it is the first line of the show. But I didn't do that, so. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. I'll cut that part in either at yeah. the very beginning or the very the end. The very end. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. 
They'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists. What they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.